You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. My name is Brittany and I'm the lead pastor here and it's Easter. I don't need to explain any of that. You've already experienced all of that. Um, But we're going to kick off with a message this morning. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're tuning in. Um, And if you're here in person, it's just really, really good to see all of you. I hope that you've had a wonderful morning so far. We made it. If any of you had to dress children, we went through a few Easter outfits at our house. Um, I have only had to wear one so far. As long as we can get through this morning, you can throw up on me as much as you need to. So, but everything, the reason this body of faith exists, the reason we gather, the reason the people in this room are the way that they are is because of Jesus. And as we kick off this morning, I'm really excited for where we're about to head, but I want to start with a question because I usually do. How many of you have ever heard of the phrase hashtag transformation Tuesday? One person, two people, three people, four. Okay. There's a few people. It's usually on social media. And it typically, I've I've seen it related to fitness stuff, but I've also seen people posting this hashtag on anything from a home renovation to a fitness transformation to dental work. It seems to have run the gamut. There's just this really wide breadth on social media of people using this hashtag. And I think it's because of one simple truth. People love transformation. We're captivated by it. If you don't believe me, just turn on HGTV. It's an entire channel on TV dedicated to people transforming things. And before our generation thinks that we can claim that like interest because of Bob and jo- or Bob, Chip and Joanna Gaines, I remember growing up as a young child and Bob Vila was the OG, right? He was on there, this old house. So we cannot claim it. Every generation has their Bob Vila or their Chip and Joanna because there's something inherent in all of us that loves a good transformation story. We're captivated by it. We're fascinated by it. We love to see things that are broken or chaotic become restored and rejuvenated and beautiful all over again. And I think that's because all of us also secretly yearn for it. There's all things in our lives that might be a little broken or not fixed. It could be some part of your house. You know, I keep looking at our kitchen floor, which is real, real janky. And I'm like, it'd be really good if we like put some new grout down in that. Um, And every time you walk over it, you feel like the tiles shift a little bit. And you're like, yeah, this is, yeah. So, you know, there's things in each of our lives. Could be a physical thing, but it also could be in us. You know, a story, something we regret something we wish had never happened, some part of our personality or our life that we just really, every time we see it, we wobble a little bit and think, man, it would be really nice if I could put some new grout down here, if I could fix that up, if that wasn't so broken and I wasn't so broken here. We're captivated by transformation because the truth is we all need it. There's nothing wrong with that. We can all come to that with a blank slate and say, across the board, every single person in this room needs transformation. None of us is better or worse than anybody else. And yet, it's so hard to reach it. How many times have we started something? I'm going to fix that. I'm going to organize that, and it's going to stay organized. I'm going to reach that fitness goal. I'm going to do that thing. And then it slowly tapers off. There's all sorts of statistics around New Year's resolutions and how many have failed by the end of the year. And this is not a shame talk, like, have you kept yours up since the start of the year? It's four months in. Um, It's more to say that transformation is something we all need and want and yearn for, but it's also something that feels very hard to reach in a lasting way a lot of the time. 
which is why transformation stories are so powerful. Because the moment we watch somebody else accomplish or reach the thing that we are most struggling with and most wanting to have in our lives, it sparks a hope in us that it's not impossible. It says, no matter how many times I failed, that person has reached sobriety. That person has reached healing from trauma. That person has reached whatever the goal or thing that feels out of grasp for me, I've seen somebody else grab it, which means there's still hope for me. And so we love transformation stories because they, they speak to that need that we have and that desire and say there is a possibility that what you need the most in the world, we can find and we can grab. And of all of the transformation stories, Easter is my favorite because it's the one that keeps changing people's lives. It hasn't stopped. We haven't hit the gas or we haven't hit the brakes. At no point since this first Easter story with Jesus has this story lost power or momentum or capacity to change people. It's still happening and so this morning, we're going to look again. We're going to look at the place where the donkey and the meal and the cross and the grave intersect, because I think that that's exactly where, at that point, where those all connect, that's exactly the point where we find the transformation that we are most looking for, even if you've never been able to articulate what it is that you want most in this life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you do your work of revelation this morning. This is all about you, Jesus, in your name, amen. We'll start with the donkey. I am gonna go back before I go ahead because that's what I like to do and my team will get mad at me. I can guarantee you tomorrow they'll be like, just, just make it shorter, Brittany. But the donkey, you have to know the whole story of Jesus. I can't read the whole Bible to you this morning. That would take far too long. So just give me an extra week, right? Easter Sunday, great. The week before is, is uh, Palm Sunday. And Jesus has been growing in, not, people have been growing in knowledge of Jesus. I don't want to say fame because he wasn't really famous. But more and more people in Israel have begun to hear about this radical rabbi. This guy who's been going throughout the land and teaching with authority and with power. And what makes him really unique is the things that he's saying he's backing up with demonstrations of miraculous healing. He's leaving a trail of wholeness behind him. People whose lives have been restored. And this guy is strange because he doesn't come from a family that's important. He doesn't have any formal training. He's not rich or, or he, he has nothing in a societal lens that would say this man is worth following. He's worth listening to. He's a rabbi of prominence, except for everything that he was saying and doing, which was so different than anyone else at the time. And so rumors began to fly. Hey, could this possibly be the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Could this possibly be the one that the prophets told us about who was going to do all those things? And you have the inside track if you come every Sunday. We just read through the prophets, right? Right? Yes. Just a little, come on back. We'll, we'll go some more. But what are they waiting for? We just talked about this last week. They were waiting for God's presence to return to the temple. They were waiting for the Messiah who would come and change their circumstances. They were waiting for the king who was going to come, this savior of the world who was going to bring justice and peace and wholeness to all parts of the world. And we have to remember that as they're waiting, 
these people who are here with, with Jesus as he's walk, coming in on the donkey, it's been 600 years that they have been under oppression by another government. It started with Babylon, and then it went to um, Persia, and then we move forward, and we get all the way up to this point right now after Greece where they are under the Romans' thumbs. And it's not just a distant oppression. Rome moved in. They set themselves up in the city. There wasn't freedom for Israel to be Israel without having this cloud constantly following them around. And so in the back of their minds are all these wonderful promises, but their reality looks very different. They're disillusioned. They're exhausted. They are verging on the place of hopelessness because the transformation that God has promised them hasn't happened yet. And day after day after day goes by and they wonder, has he forgotten us? And of course, we never think that way, right? We never wonder as we're sitting there waiting for God to do the things that we know he's promised. He's promised healing. He's promised wholeness. He's promised restoration. And yet when it doesn't happen, doesn't it hurt a little bit or make us wonder? And so as they're watching this Jesus and they're thinking about these promises and they're looking at their surroundings, they're beginning to let hope start to build again. Maybe this really is the Messiah. Maybe our fortunes are about to change and Jesus is going to come back and all the things that are wrong are going to be right again. And so when he arrives in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, their hope crescendos. Luke 19, 35 to 38 says, they brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road in front of him. They made a red carpet with their, with their coats. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. And they said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest of heavens. They lined the streets overwhelmed with excitement and joy because in their minds they're thinking we are right on the cusp of that political coup that's going to set us back to the place where God intended as one of the leading nations in the world. Our problems are about to be over. We'll be free again. We'll be powerful again. We'll be rich again. These are truly the things that they felt would come on the transformation promises of God. And so all their hopes, all these things, all these desires, all, all of the change that they want in their life is resting on this radical rabbi riding into the city on a donkey. But the donkey reminds us we all have a deep longing for transformation, a hunger within us to see what's broken and not right in our lives be put back together. And there's even that shred of hope, that small, thin line that exists even when the wait is really long and arduous, even when we've fallen on our faces again and again and again. There's still a shred of hope that exists in all of us that we can be put back together. And so all week long, Israel waited and they watched and they wondered for the moment that Jesus was going to make his move. But he didn't amass all his followers. He didn't gather a bunch of weapons. He didn't rush Pilate's palace and start a coup. He just kept teaching and healing and being Jesus same Jesus he'd been for all those years before as they watched. And so everything kind of stayed the same until Thursday night when we get to Passover, the meal. And Passover, if you're new or if you've never heard about what Passover is, started hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. There was a moment where the people of Israel, the Hebrews at that point, they weren't even a nation yet, 
were still in slavery, oppressive, brutal slavery in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh was a wild tyrant who was determined not to let them go because they had free slave labor that was building their cities and all of the things that we look at and think, wow, Egypt. So why would you want to get rid of free labor and not put your own people to that? So he was determined to keep Israel in place, but God said, no, my people are going to be set free, but they're not able to free themselves from this tyrant. They don't have the power. They don't have the intelligence. They don't have the might, the strength, the money, none of it. They are completely at the mercy of God stepping in to be their rescuer. And the way that he did it was through a meal. They gathered together in their homes and they each killed a lamb and they put the lamb's blood on their doorway as a way to single that God, we are your friends. And so when you move through the land of Egypt tonight, you will see the blood of the lamb on our door and know that this house These people are your friends and you will pass over judgment. It'll skip us. It won't fall on us. And that's exactly what God did. And so the people of Israel would gather year after year after year at the same time to celebrate this miracle of God rescuing them from the impossible and making them free, bringing them to a new place of restoration. And when Jesus got together to celebrate with his best friends, it was a little different this year. Mark 14, 22 to 24 says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples and said, take it for this is my body. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And you may think, okay, That's a strange thing to say at dinner, because it is. It sounds like Jesus is inviting them to eat him. That's weird, right? You can laugh. That would be a strange thing to hear. But what Jesus was doing as they were celebrating the ancient story of freedom is inserting himself into it and saying a new kind of freedom is coming You're not wrong that God is on the cusp of moving, friends. You're not wrong that I am the Messiah. You just don't understand what the transformation is going to actually look like. He says, what God is going to do is make me the permanent Passover lamb. My blood is the blood that you will stretch over yourself, symbolically, to indicate to him that you are his friends. This is how God is going to rescue the whole world. He's going to tear my heart apart, Jesus says, and your hearts will heal. Just like the Passover lamb died, now I will die for you. My blood will wash away your brokenness and you will be clean on the inside. And so he makes this bold declaration that God is on the move to rescue them from another oppressor, to rescue them from another tyrant, And in the back of their minds, the people, his best friends, the disciples are thinking, well, yeah, we know Rome is really bad. We know there's a tyrant that we can't free ourselves from. We've tried. It's gone badly every time. And Jesus is in his heart knowing it's so much bigger than just your external circumstances. There's so much more. And so we move into the cross because on that night, after all the other Passover lambs had been, had been killed and eaten and, and Passover had been celebrated, there was still one more lamb whose blood needed to be shed. And so while praying in a nearby park, Jesus is arrested by the jealous religious leaders. They come and they take him to basically a kangaroo court 
where they charge him with a false charge just so that they can try and move him up before Pilate so that they can get a conviction for death. They're so uncomfortable, so jealous, so insecure by this rabbi that they just want to get rid of him, even though they've heard the rumors that this could be the Messiah. And so that's exactly what they do. They take the lamb, the new lamb, Jesus, and they march him up the hill, carrying the cross on his back. He's beaten, he's bruised, he's bloody. Just like the lamb, his body has been broken. Not a single bone, but so much of his blood has been poured out, so much of his skin torn open. And as they march him up the hill, the same crowd that welcomed him is now heckling him. The same crowd that would put all their hopes on him is now so deeply hopeless that they begin to throw disdain and sneer and spit at him. And Jesus responds with nothing but love. He doesn't come down. He doesn't fight. He doesn't explain himself. He simply says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And at the very end, he breathes his last, and it is done. The lamb, the new Passover lamb, has shed his blood on the cross. And what the world didn't understand in that moment but we look back on now and recognize is that once more, God has stepped in to save his people from an oppression they could not free themselves from, from a tyrant that they could not get out from under. And it wasn't Rome. It was the stuff inside of us. Jesus says, you're so worried about your external circumstances being put together. But the biggest need you have, the biggest transformation that we all require isn't just that our life looks nice on the outside. It's all of the stuff on the inside. It's the stuff that we wish we didn't have to deal with that we try and hide from the people that we love or the people around us. Jealousy, insecurity, feeling unworthy, the things that we're embarrassed by, the mistakes that we've made. It's the darkness and the brokenness inside of us that Jesus said, that is something you can't free yourself from. You've tried, and all you've learned to do is bury it. And that doesn't work either. That just comes up in other insidious ways, working itself out through other symptoms. He says, you have experienced so much in you, and the wages of that self-destruction is death. And we think, oh, God's, God's condemning us to death. No, he says, when you don't deal with the stuff on the inside, you make self-destructive choice after choice after choice, and all it does is bring death into your life. I don't have to do that to you. That's the natural consequence of you just making these horrible decisions. He said, and I want to rescue you from that. God created his, his, all of creation, including humanity, good. That was the word he declared over everything he made. And when he got to humans, he said, you are very good. And the fact that we've stepped out of the ability to experience that goodness breaks dad's heart. He doesn't want us to experience pain. He doesn't want us to suffer under the weight of our own brokenness or the brokenness of other people hurting us. And so he says, I am going to step in to free you from the one thing that you cannot change in your own life, which is your heart. And the only way for that to happen was the cross. Because what happened on the cross was not God's wrath being poured out on Jesus. If you're a hyper-religious person, I know that's going to offend you and you're going to come talk to me in a minute. That's okay. Hear me. Hear me, please, before you come running up. 
The only way for Jesus to heal our hearts was for him to absorb all of the ugliness in us. And that happened on the cross when every ounce of human hatred and bitterness and rage and all of the rebellion that we have, all of our wrath against God, we put onto Jesus in that moment and he absorbs it on the cross because the only way for the brokenness in us to be healed is for it to go to someone who doesn't respond in kind, but in continued to respond in perfect love. When Jesus is on the cross, God's not throwing down all this anger and punishment on the world. He's saying, I'm taking all of your hatred into my very self because I will not respond in kind on you. And that's exactly what John tells us in John 3, 16 and 17. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent Jesus into the world not to judge it but to save the world through him. God took all of our brokenness onto the cross and it has been finished. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you don't like God, even if you're just here because somebody dragged you, that doesn't negate the fact that your sin was put on the cross and Jesus took all of it and it's done. He's already accomplished all of it. You can't undo what he has accomplished. Praise God that we can't undo what he has already accomplished. There's nothing left for him to take care of. And so Good Friday is when Jesus absorbs the full measure of human wrath onto himself and allows us to then walk in the freedom of what it would look like to be made good again. It says he gives us his righteousness. What that means is he, he returns us back to the garden where we get to experience goodness and live in the goodness of God again. The cross reveals the that only absolute love can actually set us free. Only absolute love can enact the transformation that you and I need the most. There's no program, not even the best of all the things that you could get for self-help. The only thing that's going to change our hearts is the radical absolute love of God. And it has been given to us. And then we get to Easter. So often we treat Easter as the day when God made us lovable. It's like the moment when, when God was like, now I can love my people. And that's not a good understanding of Easter. We were always lovable to God. What Easter accomplished was us recognizing that God loved us and being willing to receive it. What Easter did was make it possible for us to say, God, you truly do love me because you've taken down the barriers that are caused by my sin and my shame and my guilt and my self-condemnation. All of that went to the cross, which means I can stand in assurance and freedom and say, I am loved by the Father. I am a daughter of the King. I am redeemed by Jesus. I am loved and I can live in the freedom of that love. In dying, I love this. If you're from a Catholic background, you'll recognize this, but it's so true. In dying, he destroyed our death and in rising, he restored our life. Easter, Good Friday is the clearing of the house. It's us being able to freely come before God under the blood of Jesus and now be friends with God like we were intended to be, be part of the family. In the empty grave on Easter morning, Imani read the passage, so I won't read it again, but the empty tomb on Easter morning isn't just a new day, it's not just a new week, it's not just a new dawn, it's an entirely new age where humanity is returned, where we have the opportunity to return to living in the goodness of intimacy with the Father. 
to be friends with God, the creator of the universe, and not in some weird, distant way, but he walks with me. He talks with me where you know the heart of the Father, not just for you, but for the world. And you can live in the freedom and the confidence and the victory of that, where you can definitively say that, yes, I may still be struggling with some things, but I am not the person that I once was. God has made me a new person. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the reason I'm a new creation in Christ is because of the love of the Father poured out on me at my worst, which was the cross at my worst, which was the cross. And he didn't respond in anger and judgment, but instead freely welcomes me back into the family under the blood of Christ. I think so often we look at the transformation and we, you hear that in church all the time. God came and he's saving the world through Jesus and that's true. But then we look out the door and say, stuff's still a mess. Or we look at ourselves and say, I'm still a mess. And we think, God, your transformation in Christ, like what's up with that? Why isn't everything put back together again and made right? Why is there still injustice and oppression and corruption? And I think when we say those things, it's because we, we just don't quite grasp how important we are to the Father. He promises in Revelation, Jesus is going to come back and he is going to handle all of that. There will be a time when there no longer is racism, oppression, abuse, injustice, corruption, all that will be taken care of. That's phase two. Phase one is you. You are far more important to the Father. You are the favored part of creation, the most important part of creation, the highlight of creation. God got to the last part and he made each of you and me and he said, this is very good. Everything else is good. They are very good. And so his first priority through Easter, as much as he wants to restore all of the world and bring it back into shalom, the first priority is bringing you back into shalom because of a powerful and profound love for you that never stopped. Jesus came declaring that. People were so convinced that God didn't love them and that they needed to do a bunch of things for God to love them. His message over and over again is God has never abandoned you. He's never given up on you. On your worst, most horrible day, he is still here, seeing you, loving you, drawing you to him because that's where your wholeness and your healing will come from. You can't fix yourself on the other side of a relationship with God. We are fixed, we are restored and made whole in a relationship with God because his love is so good. And this is what Paul says, what he means in Romans 5. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we can certainly be saved through the life of his son. We can experience goodness and wholeness and transformation now. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have access to that now, where we can live in a relationship with God on earth, where we can engage with him on earth as it is in heaven. And even though stuff around us might still be broken, and even stuff inside of us is still being made whole, it's in process, we get to do that in friendship with God. He's not asking us to do it on our own outside of his power. He's saying, take my hand. You want to know how to be made good? Let me show you. I'm the original architect. Do you want to know how to live whole, healthy? You want a good relationship? You want a healthy life? Take my hand. And that's how you will get to the very transformation that you need most.
Where the donkey and the bread and the wine and the cross and the grave intersect is where we find the very thing that we are the most hungry for, even if we've never been able to articulate it. You might not even believe me right now, and that's okay, because Paul said, this message sounds crazy. So it's, I'm in good company. Paul understood that this does sound absolutely wild until the moment it doesn't. Until the moment it becomes alive in our hearts and we realize, oh my goodness, God, I don't have to fix myself. I just have to surrender to you and you will put me back together. Why? Because you love me. The love of the Father is what we find at the intersection of the Easter story. Every single part points back to Jesus, who is the image of the Father, the image of the invisible creator brought to life so we could see him. And what we see is love incarnate walking on earth. And he doesn't run away from us. He doesn't refuse to touch us. He doesn't tell us that we have to be perfect. He's the radical rabbi that walks into our life, sits down and shares dinner with us while we're still dirty. And he enjoys it. He enjoys us. Easter is the message of just being received by the Father. And so whatever you are needing Whatever things you think are broken in your life, whatever things you are struggling most to want to see changed, all of that finds hope and finds an anchor point in the Easter story. Your career is on an end, your marriage is falling apart, your health's in the tanker, which is what our house has felt like for the last three weeks. You have no idea how you're going to stay sober. You have no idea how you're going to make your next rent check. You have no idea what you're going to do with your life. Maybe you're just trying to figure out what to do. It all finds anchor in the Easter story when God says, I have loved you. Take my hand and I will show you how to live into the goodness that I created the world to be because you are my top priority more than anything else right now. If you want to stand, we'll move into ministry time. We're just going to invite the Spirit to come. If you're new to the vineyard, we just end our messages and our time here just listening to the Holy Spirit and praying. And so we just encourage you to stay open and just be ready for whatever he wants to do. The Holy Spirit, we invite you to come.